the podcast ladies and gentlemen escape from society this is the august 2014 episode it's the first of september today so it's in the books it's going on tape month of august this will be a brief episode as there was not a whole lot going on in this summary of summer months took a nice long vacation to the beach in the middle had a couple of gigs before it and a few after it. So, first of the month, Friday night, I was playing with the Dirty Water Dogs back at Bar Chord. That's happened before, you know about it. Uh, again, Neil Thomas, the accordion player, was not available for the gig, so I filled in for him on trombone. Played a couple of songs in the set on bass as well, which was a lot of fun. I always make or at least I used to make the point, but it's only partly true that it doesn't matter how long a break you take with the bass, that it's always, your chops are always in fine shape when you come back to it. And relative to the trombone, that is sort of true. But now that I've become a better bass player than I was when I first formed that theory, I do acknowledge that I'm not able to just let the instrument sit in the closet for three weeks or two months and then pick it up and wail on it. I can pick it up and be in pretty good shape and certainly better than if I let the trombone, uh, if I left that in the closet for three weeks, come back in terrible shape. I mean, your, your fingers are always working in ways that are applicable to bass playing. Your lips are not always moving in ways that are applicable to trombone playing. The muscles used for trombone playing are pretty specialized, so they get out of shape really quickly. But if you're actually a good bass player, you play often and keep your chops up because it's easy to get rusty. I know that now. I ain't talking any smack about the bass being easy. You gotta put your work in. Uh, that was a fun gig that night. There is a work. And the following weekend, I had a, a performance of a very different kind. This was outdoors, and it was with the ensemble Tilt Brass. 
And earlier this year, we did, you might remember, a sort of preview concert. And I can play some audio from that concert of, of a piece that Chris McIntyre, who runs the ensemble, was composing to be played at Federal Plaza outside of the Jacob Javits Federal Office Building. Now, the Department of Transportation does something called Summer Streets, where they'll close streets to vehicular traffic. In, uh, in the case of, of the one on August 9th, it was um, you know, 72nd Street in Central Park all the way down to the Brooklyn Bridge. They had various streets closed. So you could bike or jog or stroll around and not really be bothered by cars. And judging by the number of people who were biking around that day, I think it does encourage people to get out on the roads. And I bike in Manhattan all the time, but a lot of people don't because of their justifiable fear of traffic. And um, this is an opportunity for them to get to ride through Manhattan, which is can be very pleasant and is also instructive. Um, if you're not a person who's ever ridden your bike from midtown to downtown before, uh, maybe you've never really gotten a sense of what that kind of distance is like. Anyway, Summer Streets uh, is sort of a cool thing, and there are little cultural happenings rolled into the event. Every so often, they'll go through a little plaza where some little tents and performances are, are set up. And down by the Brooklyn Bridge is this Jacob Javits office building. And Chris was able to secure a commission from the Department of Transportation and permission from, I think, the federal government to create a performance piece site-specific to this plaza to be performed during the summer streets, which passes right by the plaza. And the plaza is famous for once hosting Richard Serra's sculpture, Tilted Ark. And Tilted Ark was commissioned in the 70s, installed sometime around 1980. Like many of Richard Serra's sculptures, it was a large behemoth size um, steel construction, a tilted arc. It was pretty long, and the people who worked in the building felt like it was ugly and it got in their way. And they sued. And they successfully battled Richard Serra and whoever else was on Richard Serra's side in court. And about five or six years after the piece had been put up, it was taken down by order of a judge or whatever, because, because it was bad art, because it was inconvenient art, um, really bizarre chapter of 
New York history and one that Chris McIntyre has always been fascinated by, so much so that the name of his ensemble, Tilt Brass, is derived from the name of the sculpture, Tilted Arc. And Tilt Brass does some original music, some non-original music. They do concert hall stuff. They do site-specific stuff. It's mostly, but not limited to, brass musicians, uh, brass ensembles, sometimes mixed, sometimes all trombones, like the concert we did earlier this year, sometimes including trumpets and French horns, and often including other things such as electronics and percussion, like the piece that Chris designed for this installation, which he called Presencing Piece. So Presencing Piece on the plaza where the Tilted Arc sculpture used to be, had about a two-hour duration, and it was a, it was really like a one-hour sequence of smaller pieces that happened twice. And there was a, an ensemble of, I think, five trumpets and an ensemble of seven trombones. And certain pieces were for both of us or for us all to play together some were just trumpet and some were just trombone and some of those overlapped with each other and then david shively had a couple of his drums installed on the plaza and the drums have little electrodes attached to them in a certain way that that causes feedback and resonance to pass through the drum being controlled by David electronically. So you don't hit the drum with a stick. The, the drum is, has this little thing attached to it and you send an electrical signal to the little thing and it makes the drum go or or you know, whatever. It can be very noisy. I remember in college discovering what fun you can have with a snare drum when when I was at Oberlin, the jazz department was situated in Hales Auditorium, which was a, or Hales Gymnasium, rather, which was a um, not yet dilapidated, but unused gym facility. There was a gym, there were locker rooms. It was attached to the bowling alley. And so the jazz department, our facilities were the locker room and some of the other, I don't know what they would have been, but the rooms right off of the gym. And the gym would be occasionally used for like dance classes. There was this swing dance society, which of course now I would be really interested in what that was, but I, I didn't care at the time and I didn't know who the people were or what they were doing and, and didn't even see the connection between like there are swing dancers here and we are jazz musicians and like maybe we could play for them instead of them listening to uh, records to do their dances but not a lot of people were actually playing swing music in our department so yeah I guess it didn't occur to me or maybe anybody else but there was one night where the place was more or less abandoned it was late but there was one of these swing dances going on and I 
somehow discovered that if you take a snare drum and you hold it up to your head and scream into it, the snares go bonkers and it's really, really loud and it looks funny because you're holding a drum up to your face. And I remember running into the uh, gym during the swing dancing. Like, ah! <laughs> running around like an asshole um, for, I mean, for 10 seconds. Not, I didn't terrorize them or anything. So, you can also play a horn into a snare drum and it sounds awesome. You can do all sorts of things. Um, and so David Shively has his thing that he does with drums. And there were some electronic components and spoken word things that Chris had running through the PA. So, the plaza was set up with a few drums around, a few arrays of speakers in different places, and then 12 brass musicians who are acoustic and, and mobile. And we had different um, arrangements, different physical arrangements in the space. So for a given piece, we'd walk into this area and stand in this configuration and for other pieces, blah, blah, blah. So on a sunny morning from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., we, after having been sniffed by the bomb-sniffing dogs to make sure we weren't going to bomb the federal plaza that is a public space and we weren't even going into the building, I don't know why we had to get sniffed. Um, we did the thing. So you're hearing some of the music that we were doing that day. It was stuff we had to have um, committed to memory. And that wasn't very difficult. Uh, the pieces that the trombones played were Basically, you just had to remember a couple of pitches and then run them through a, a rhythmic process and make sure you were staying in the, you know, staying basically along with your neighbors, sort of in, in the fashion of NC, if you're uh, familiar with that Terry Riley piece. You can go at your own pace through the music, but uh, make sure you're in the neighborhood of, of your neighbors. Uh, so you're all gonna start and finish sort of around the same time. A couple of the pieces were like that. I actually think that Chris could have asked more of us. He could have demanded more of us as far as what we memorized and what we rehearsed. But there were a lot of unknowns going into the performance because we were never able to rehearse in the space and playing outside presents various sonic difficulties and if you're going to be spread out if you're going to spread the musicians out which you wanted to do in the in the space you're not necessarily going to be able to hear each other so you might need the uh the joints to be kind of loose in the in the piece so it can all hold together. And yeah, so, and I think Chris had so many technical concerns uh, that he needed to master that 
some of his um, compositional ideas were jettisoned in rehearsal, either because he didn't like the way they were sounding or, or because he thought he would be asking too much of us to learn it, or maybe it wouldn't all come together. Uh, it, it was not, um, yeah, we were not going for a, a performance of, of great precision, but one of m more effect, I think, um, since it is a, a site-specific piece and it would just have mainly passers-by. And I report that a, not too many of the passers-by stopped on the plaza. A friend of mine noticed a boy who was biking with his, his father and as he was passing us, he, uh, he stopped and pointed and said, Dad, Dad, they're having a trombone off, which is probably the funniest thing anybody said that day. A few people came to the piece to listen, but basically it was uh, some passers-by, and I hope they enjoyed what they heard. Nice is a good opportunity for me to spend time with other brass players, a few of them from the classical world, who I always um, try to take away some some technical uh, I don't know epiphanies or wisdom from from them, from observing them and chatting and blah blah blah. Good to have a little brass hang. That was the tilt brass gig at. The Plaza, Presence in Peace. Directly from that gig, I went home and met my sister, and we drove to the beach in Delaware, as per annual tradition. Spent about 10 days there, so that was nice. After a summer of some, or many actually, uh, smaller little trips, this was, this was a good one to sort of close out the summer with a nice like 10 day, this is a vacation blah, 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 um, get sort of centered before coming back to the grind in New York, if you want to call it that. Day after I got back, I uh, played at Radagast with Jesse Carolina and the Hot Mess. I think I reported to you last month that there would be no tip bucket passing at that gig, and indeed we did not pass the tip bucket and didn't, didn't suffer greatly for it. People still came up and gave us tips. So good little jam at Radagast. And continuing with the 
jazz tip, and indeed these these two bands play some of the same songs. Uh, was in the tin uh, was in the park with Tin Pan this past week, the last week of the month. We were there on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Particularly pleasant weather, and how would I distinguish one gig from another? Not really. Monday and Thursday we did about even on the money side, and Wednesday was slower than the other two. Thursday actually felt like it was going to be, um, like we were going to make more money than we had on Monday just based on the number of CDs we sold right in the first set, but it, it might have tapered off from there, or maybe Monday was better than I remembered because uh, they, they came out even. But, so that was, like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on Tuesday of the week, um, we didn't go out to the park, which was just as well, because I wound up playing quite a bit that night. Barbez, as I've mentioned to you before, is I think one of the best spots for music in the city. Just happens to be far away from my house, and I don't go there a lot. But I relish opportunities to go, and the shanty band, the Jordan Shapiro Shanty Shakedown, was playing the early set on Tuesday night, which is at 7 o'clock. And we went on closer to 7.30 and played till close to 9. And that's a, that's a workout, but not a, a total chop buster. Really fun. A new banjo player on this gig, and he was great. Played banjo and fiddle. And uh, hope to see him again. He was really good. And Tuesday nights for years has been Slavic Soul Party's night at Barbez. This is a band that plays every week. And Matt Moran is the leader of the band. I don't know Matt very well, and I'm not not certain if we've ever done any improv things together. It's it's likely that we have, but it hasn't been anything of, of significance. Years ago, my early days in New York, when we as a country were more seriously at war than we are now, I and mean, we were very committed to this war in Iraq. Uh, there were some peace demonstrations in New York, and um, I believe what happened was I was going home to Massachusetts one day via the uh, Greyhound bus, which is at Port Authority on 42nd Street, but I knew that there was a rally, a peace rally in Bryant Park, which is also on 42nd Street. So I went to the rally first before getting the bus, and I had my trombone with me and just happened to end up on a street corner with someone who was throwing a band together for for a little parade portion or something like that. Maybe we marched over to the UN. I, I don't have a clear memory of it. But I took my horn out and, and played with the guy, and his name is Charlie Kyle. He impressed me by, by saying he's the cousin of Roswell Rudd, one of my favorite trombone players. 
And um, Charlie's like a an ethnomusicologist, plays a few different instruments, knows a lot about music, lives in Connecticut, and had a few times made efforts to have a little band called the New York Path to Peace. And it's a demonstration band, plays it at things like peace marches. So whoever it was that played that day, it was probably a few people. Charlie made sure to, he, he like ensured my future involvement by giving me the, all of the music, the copies of the music that he brings to events. So I became the de facto librarian of the band and we traded phone numbers so we could stay in touch. And for six months or a year, we did, we did more of these parades and demonstrations and I got other friends of mine involved and, and Charlie knows people who came down and often the band would be eight to ten people sometimes a little larger, sometimes smaller. And Matt Moran of Slavic Soul Party was usually playing bass drum. And Chris Stromquist, also of Slavic Soul Party, playing snare drum. Chris turned up this year in the Universe is a Small Hat band. So we've already been playing together this year a little bit. Uh, Matt, I don't see around very much, and I don't go down to... um, Barbez on Tuesday nights. It's just far away, and Slavic Soul Party is awesome, but I've never, I've always known people in the band, but I've never really made the effort to check them out, which is my bad. Um, But they do a Balkan brass band type of thing, which is pretty popular as far as ethnic musics go. Uh, as folk musics go there are a bunch of brass bands in the city it's something that people love uh, understandably it's very danceable it's very good party music the, yeah it's centered around drums and brass but also accordion and often saxophone so the people who are playing in the band right now I know several of them like I said uh, Matt and Chris Matt Musselman and Tim Vaughn were playing trombone. Kenny Warren and Jonathan Powell playing trumpets. And um, so I fully intended to stay and check them out. And and Tim and Matt actually said, man, you got to sit in, you know, hang out until the second set and and sit in. And so I thought, cool, that sounds fun. Enjoyed the first set. Band was killing. And um, watched a first couple of songs of the second set and then Matt uh, Musselman said yeah yeah it's a good time come on up and they hadn't played any songs that I know I don't follow them specifically but I also don't know a lot about Balkan brass music if they're playing standards it's lost on me because I don't know the standards but I sat in on like two songs the first one was you know easy enough to sort of fit in with it was a bit of a trombone feature and then the second one got going and Matt sort of said oh yeah I think this is going to be Ahmad so um, you take the solo and he said Ahmad and that didn't 
mean anything to me until the song started, and I realized that he means Ahmad, the song from the Far East suite of Duke Ellington that has the trombone solo in it. So I've told you about the Duke Ellington Far East suite before. It's something I've played. It's something I know really well and love as dearly as anything else in the world. So what the hell? All of a sudden they're playing not only a song that I know, but that... Um, that I really love and I get to play on it and God, that was really exciting. Um, yeah, uh, felt great. So that was that was a great Tuesday night uh, at Barbez. Between the park three days and this Barbez experience, four days of like pretty hard blowing um, on the trombone, which I felt totally in shape for, but I don't know if my lips completely agreed with me because on Friday, I started to feel a cold sore coming on. And um, I'll just detour a little bit into this aspect of my life. I probably had never gotten a cold sore until five or six years ago. And then since then I've gotten a few every year. Huge pain in the ass as a uh, trombonist because although I don't think I've really canceled any gigs as the result of a cold sore, that's just because I've gotten a little bit lucky with the timing because I do put the horn down for a couple of days and it's uncomfortable and it's a setback and it can absolutely get in the way of gigs and so really inconvenient. Now, in October of last year, I played at this festival called the O Positive Festival up in Kingston, New York, and artists, musicians, and uh, healthcare providers all volunteer their services to this festival. So for the weekend, bands are putting on concerts, artists are painting murals all over Kingston and beautifying the city and all of these artists and musicians have access to a health clinic where they can meet with doctors, get massages or acupuncture, there are yoga classes to go to, there, uh, you could go see dentists. It's like an awesome community building kind of thing. I hadn't seen a doctor in like five years or so since I had, had you know, been getting cold sores. So I had had a, an appointment with a little doctor there and I was like hey so there's not really anything wrong with me except there is I do get cold sores once in a while and it's like a real pain in the ass and he said okay uh here's this prescription like no problem so I got the prescription filled and uh yeah two or three times since then I've felt cold sores going on are coming coming about have taken these pills and like the pills just make the problem go away. Uh, it's awesome. They they like beat it back before it even gets started. Miracles of modern medicine. So yeah, it does seem possible to me that playing hard four days in a row uh, might have helped bring this thing around. I also played a little bit of tuba at home on Friday, um, and playing the tuba and the trombone on the same day, you know, maybe 
my chops didn't feel good. Anyways, on Saturday night, I had a, an improv gig at the Douglas Street Music Collective. And um, little cold sore issue didn't want to cancel the gig, even though I knew it would aggravate the, uh, the issue. So um, I certainly didn't play my best. Uh, I was a little bit worried about the lip, and my lips were a, a little bit inflexible, even though the, you know, you know, I had taken some of my pills and it was not a big problem. It was still just, uh, you know, mentally as much as physically, just uh, taking precaution, and therefore not, uh, you know, totally blowing my brains out and, and feeling free. However, we played a what I thought was a really strong set of music. This was with Jonah Rosenberg on piano, Max Johnson on bass, and Joe Hertenstein on drums. And I hadn't played with Joe before. It was a real pleasure. Uh, this is the end of the road for Douglas Street Music Collective. Events, eventually, the, the space will be shut down entirely. But as of today, September 1st, there are no more performances to be happening there. Landlord doesn't want it or whatever the issue is. So this, there was a not particularly triumphant or celebratory uh, rounding out of the uh, old Douglas Street experience this weekend. Um, I think yesterday they had they had more of a, a big bash. But on Saturday night, it was really a night like any other, you know, some good music, improvised stuff, Hardly anybody there, but a nice vibe. That's what it was like. That was what the music was like. Rest in peace, Douglas Street. Uh, I don't know. Had a decent run, like four years or so. Um, that was it for gigs this month. Uh, but I do want to play for you something that I recorded at home, uh, a song I wrote in response to some of the police violence that has been taking place in the country for a long time, but is is really uh, under public scrutiny right now as it deserves to be because it's atrocious and I'm mad about it. So um, I wrote a song and the end of the episode today will be the playing of this song. If you're a cop, stop shooting black teenagers I've heard all your excuses and they don't make fucking sense Don't tell me you felt threatened when you shot him in the back While his hands were in the air and he didn't have a gun And he never had a gun and you shouldn't have a gun But apparently you don't even need the gun You'll use your bare hands while your partner's holding down In the middle of the day, in the middle of the street That's how above the law you think you are You'll choke a man to death on tape and keep your fucking job Is life so cheap that you can't even show your fucking face to us and say You're sorry, 
what you did was absolutely fucking horrific Not to mention illegal You should be in jail with the people you've imprisoned For the crime of being poor Think about life Think about your own Think about the life of the mother whose son you took away The kids of the guy you choked to death on the street The father of the teenager you shot in his house And the bride of the groom you shot on his wedding day 485 people in a year Killed by American police who think they have the right to point a gun at someone and shoot him when he acts nervous. Let me tell you something. You are not trying hard enough to stop being racist and to stop thinking that part of your job is deciding who can live and who can die. Keep using your guns. I will use my words. This is not a fair fight.